Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone, super happy to be on Let's Talk AI today. I am with Paul Justin. Paul, how are you doing? I am great. How how are you? Uh, I'm very, very good. Um, it's Monday and um, and like a Monday, everything, uh, there's Monday, everything goes well and others, everything goes bad for me. I think everything is going well and I think for you too, right? Yeah, as I said, I solved uh, many bugs in this morning, so I'm done for this week. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, so maybe for the people who might not know you yet, could you introduce yourself in a few sentences? Yeah, sure. So my name is Paul Justin. I am a machine learning engineer. I have uh, almost five years in this in this domain. I also worked as a software engineer. Actually, my journey began as a software engineer, but after one year and a half, uh, this AI uh, come come out to me, and I was I know naturally drawn to it. And with my first opportunity, I jumped in into a deep learning research position, and yeah, that's that's basically what got me into into this point. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I really like the fact that you started uh, as a as a software engineer. As I was discussing with Adi Polak, who's writing the O'Reilly book about Spark and how to scale with Spark, um, we were discussing about the great qualities software engineers had while designing machine learning systems and how it was very. Uh, like you get very good practices from being a software engineer into these kind of things, but I'll I'll ask you more things about it. Um, yeah, Paul, can you share? Yes, I wanted to say that I think that uh, for machine learning engineers now is the time to shine because until this point, I think there's, there was a lot of focus on research because mm -hmm. algorithms were still at the beginning, so it was natural to insist in re on research. But now the algorithm matured in many domains and yeah it's time to engineer and build stuff exactly and uh, this is super exciting i'm going to ask you more things about what have you built and how would you go about it and more things like that um but i was about to ask you what are you trying to achieve in the field today well my current goal is actually i just deeply thought uh, about this like a few months ago and I had this clarity that my grand focus is to shift from MLOps on structured data on MLOps on un unstructured data, more exactly on generative AI algorithm because I just uh, started working at a gener generative AI company called Metaphysics. So I thought hey, I want to do MLOps on unstructured data. I work at the company that does uh, 
generative AI and it's only natural to, to move onto this path. Because at, at some point I was the guy that wanted to know everything, okay. but that got me like into freezing point and it make, made me like not enjoy doing things anymore because I will always think, oh my God, I need to know so much and I couldn't enjoy myself. So I now I reverse that and I'm trying to focus and find my niche and basically be the best at that niche. And like this, you can still learn because there's still a lot to learn. You can still provide, you can provide value at that point because if you know a lot of stuff, you can talk about a lot of stuff, but you can build robust systems with a lot of experience. And that's, that's one key thing that I just realized <laughs> soon. That's super interesting insights. Um, I'll ask you more about, about this for sure. Uh, like how do you find your one thing? I feel like you find the very, like, I think that there isn't a more sexiest like job on the field right now with like the explosion of LLMs plus MLOps. I feel like those are like the two big things right now and you're just combining both and going for it. <laughs> yeah, actually I'm not, by generative AI, I'm not that much into LLMs that in the computer vision part of generative AI, like guns, double diffusion, uh, and this part of things, but I'm also interested into LLMs, but it's not like my number one priority, but it is cool to at least know how to use them and how to integrate them at least as a user. I think they can boost up a lot of your productivity. Like I know this is something that you hear everywhere, but I believe that if you know to use uh, tools like uh, the OpenAI API or other open source uh, LLMs like Falcon and Langchain and stuff like this, you can bring a lot of productivity into your daily life, actually. Agreed. And I'll ask you more about like building great systems that enhance all those open source models. Love the... We can discuss also about open source. Uh, so you've mentioned a little bit your career. Um, could you, can you do a um, a short retrospective of from the university to now what you've been doing and a bit of the key lessons on each point yeah sure so actually when i joined in university i i didn't know any programming or math and so on uh during the high school i wasn't uh, so much into let's say science then i was more like a, a classic adolescent in, let's say enjoying life <laughs> uh, but when I kicked it into university at during the first year I joined a hackathon and there we wanted to build a mobile app but we had no clue how to do that of course we didn't manage to build anything useful but during that process something light up into me and and I don't know it it just clicked something just clicked and I, I knew what I, I want to do uh, because during the university, everything was very theoretical, and maybe for some people that that work. I was, I wanted to get good grades and so on to get, uh, to keep the scholarship and so on. But it wasn't like I don't know the the thing that make you happy in the morning and you want to 
wake up and build something, do something. And that was actually building, uh, at the moment, building a web application, mobile application, building software in general. And at the end of the second year, I actually got a job into the field as a backend engineer in Python. At the back of my mind, I knew that I wanted to move into AI, but there were no uh, machine learning positions in my uh, hometown and the remote work was zero at the time. And I didn't know anything about contracting and so on. I was just mm. a stupid uh, student. So didn't have this bigger vision, let's say. So yeah, I picked a Python job because I knew, hey, I, I heard that you do Python in machine learning and at least I can learn Python. So I started uh, working as a backend engineer in Python at a small company in my in my hometown. We were like a few people, so pretty fast. I had to work on a couple of microservices. I, I also had to work on a React Native application on their like uh, logic side of things. On UI, I, I suck. I don't know. <laughs> you don't want a UI built by me. <laughs> but, but yeah. And at some point with a few of my friends, we actually uh, started building a, a startup because I said, hey, I want to build stuff. So I want to build stuff for me and to, to continue doing that. And hey, let, let's start doing something. So we actually built a Uber for handyman. Here in Romania, we have a huge problem with handyman. They're not reliable. It's very hard to find them. Uh, you don't know if they're good or bad. It's a, a big problem. It still is a big problem. And we said, hey, we can basically create a portfolio system for them and centralize all the handymen in Romania. So we built an MVP. We actually made uh, went to startup incubators, uh, to a startup incubator called Innovation Labs. And we passed the first stages and so on. But at some point, we, we hit the wall of marketing and sales and stuff like that. And we were only engineers. And we were all students. And nobody wanted to go that path. So yeah, it naturally failed because nobody wanted to do that. And we realized that, hey, you can't do anything <laughs> without selling. So yeah, so we stopped. And after, after this uh, experience, I changed jobs and started my machine learning uh, job. Basically, it was at Continental as a deep learning researcher. We, I started directly with deep learning models in uh, 3D object detection, 3D tracking, and all that, uh, all that stuff. I will be honest, at, at the beginning, it's in very overwhelming. Like I read that papers and I didn't understand nada, nothing. But with time, after a few months, things started to uh, to get more clearer and clearer. And at some point, yeah, you you, you get it. You know, uh, the, the teacher that was supervising us it, uh, told us that you need to read the paper like you understand what what is there, even if you, if you have you, even if you have no clue. If you don't understand it, just go over it again and again and again. And so on, if it's a, a paper that you really need to understand for, for that uh, use case. So yeah, I stayed half and uh, one year and a half at that uh, research position. It was very based on reading papers, replicating algorithms, uh, getting better results, like their classic research job. 
And to be honest, I was very reminiscent about my software position because I like to write code, to build stuff, not to not so much about this experimentation process, which is more uh, the science way of, of doing. And things weren't very clear in my head. Well, like, what are the positions in the domain? And, uh, because the positions in the domain are a mess. Now, in the latest period, they started to converge. But like three years ago, they were a mess. Everybody was something, but nobody, no role was actually reflecting what they're doing. And yeah, it was a mess in my head. And hopeful, uh, out of luck, I stumbled into a more engineering position at Everseen. It's an Irish company. And there I still in the computer vision uh, field, uh, building deep learning models for 2D object detection, segmentation, tracking, like the same stack, but the vision, the perspective was different. We had to take current research, not to do our research itself, just take it, train the models on, uh, on the proprietary data of the company, uh, focus on, uh, on creating the training pipeline, focusing on deploying the system, on optimizing it. Basically, the engineering side of things, on, on, of deep learning. And then uh, something will get clicked. I said, this is what I want to do. And only after a while, Actually, when I started to spend more time on LinkedIn, I saw that there's a huge difference between this machine learning researcher position and this, this machine learning engineer position. So yeah, uh, I think that spending time and socializing on uh, a LinkedIn or any other platform of your choice on this domain, it really helps you get a broader vision of what's going on. And yeah, uh, unfortunately at this company, I stayed only six months because uh, then it hit me that I want to be a contractor. It just sounded cool. Uh, I, will I will be straightforward here in Romania if you work uh, as a business, in business-to-business -business fashion is uh, more beneficial for you, let's say. And uh, it just made a lot of sense to start working like this. So at a company at Everseen, they didn't want to collaborate like this. Usually, uh, corporate the corporate world doesn't want to collaborate in business to business fashion they want full employee or nothing so i i quit and i moved into a small startup called core ai <clears throat> where at the time there were like six people <laughs> as a contractor and yeah i started working there uh there i did more classic machine learning but i had a lot of time to focus on mlops like uh a lot of time. Basically, my main focus was more MLOps and how to build the system around the models. I think I didn't train almost any models, like simple light JBM and GPUs models just to see that it works, but I didn't actually did experiments. But I had the time to focus a lot on data versioning, uh, experiment tracking, uh, model registries, model monitoring, and how to build this whole ecosystem. We actually wanted to build a, they wanted to build a product, an MLOps product that they can later sell, uh, sell as a service. Not like I know weights and biases, but like there was a, they were a service company. So when they provide the machine learning service, they say, hey, 
uh, along the model and whatever we, we do for you, we'll also provide you the, the, this platform where you can visualize everything what, what, what we're doing. But, and we actually leverage like uh, tools that already exist. We didn't build them ourselves, but we had to understand them very well to know how to integrate them into a single system. And yeah, but and yeah, I stayed there for almost again two years. But at some point, I was uh, bored of classic machine learning, and I wanted to go back to deep learning. And but I wanted to take all this knowledge of MLOps because I saw that at at least when I worked, they lack this uh, perspective of strong uh, data version and strong model registries. They have some, but they don't use it as hardcore as. Uh, classic machine learning people. To be honest, I don't know why. I don't understand why, but it just is. Maybe because the deep learning models take a lot of time to train, days, weeks, months, and it's harder to have build these reactive systems that MLOps uh, uh, wants, basically. And yeah, I am, and this is basically the stage that I'm working on at Metaphysics. Uh, I just joined this company two, two months uh, ago and it, uh, it's still an ongoing process. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a very interesting way of navigating from the different fields and, and being able to, to find, um, what you're really interested in working on and very interesting how in each phase you discovered new things that you felt more appealed to work on. Uh, and develop your expertise to arrive to a combination of MLOps and generative AI, which is not only LLMs, like you said, but uh, more on the images side. That's right. Yeah, yeah I think. Is it? Yeah, I think it helps a lot because you can understand the process from the beginning until the end. Yes. It's easy for you to understand the whole process. And now that I'm also uh, doing content on LinkedIn and so on, it, it also started to understand better the how business people see this, and mm. it helped. It started helping me also to integrate basically after the product what's going on and what's the end goal of, of things. Mm. That's very interesting. I'm going to ask you about your LinkedIn journey uh, more ahead, and I totally agree with you in the way that. A data scientist is great, but it lacks of understanding of the pipelines, like the data engineer part or the software engineer part. And a data engineer might want to develop certain skills of BI and ML, even basic ones. And I agree that it gives a really strong competitive advantage when you're able to build full solutions on your own and understand the process, even though you're not the best at it, but like you could do it. Um, maybe you'll take more time on specific parts, which are not your specialty. But uh, having the full picture can allow to capture better the overall value of it. And having this business perspective after the BI, after the data is consumed, plus each step of the chain, I feel is very valuable, which is why I agree with you in a way that it is very recommended to be curious about, yeah, but what does the data engineers are doing there and why and and how and what do they take into account and why is my data like that? And if something's wrong with the data, 
not trying directly to fix it, but also understanding it in in other parts and why it comes it comes like this. I just wanted to mention this based on what you mentioned. Um, yeah, tot- totally agree. But maybe in bigger companies, it's a little bit more overwhelming. I had the luck to work like on projects on smaller scales, mm-hmm. so it was quite easy for me to take half an hour, an hour a day, and just read things by myself and diving into other people's code and reading and trying to uh, force me to understand this thing. But I know maybe if you work at a more corporate environment with huge teams, it's more intimidating to go into a a data engineering pipeline with 100 microservices. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. I (laughs) I feel like there is something there that is, you mentioned reading, and I feel like there is so many documentation out there that explains things super well in videos that you can just try to very quickly build a proof of concept of what you understand, right? You understood from what you 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 have been reading and like build a very quick free account and deploy something and play around with it and and like like you mentioned like you, you since the beginning you wanted to build things. And that you got bored in the very theoretical part of things, and I very uh, I relate to this because it is very challenging to for me to just learn the theory without the 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 real value of it, which is why now every time I go about learning something new, of course at the very beginning you need an a, a knowledge base of what's there, and you need to understand the concepts, which is why you can like watch a lot of YouTube videos or (laughs) go to classes and there are a lot of free content out there but uh, at some point you like you can really jump into practice and like try to build things break them and try again and we mentioned it a lot in this in this podcast but I feel like this is the best way for one to get used to concepts because now it's not just theory that you're trying to put in your mind you just relate concepts to something that you're building and yeah. i feel like there is no better way to understand things than approaching yeah. it like that and trying things out yeah, plus that when you're building things your mind shifts from a passive uh, point of view to an active point of view because you actually have to you're there with your keyboard and you have to write stuff so you you have to to focus your brain has to work a lot harder yeah but I believe that this process is more, at least this is how it works for me, maybe for some is different, but it's more as an iterative process. So usually I take a topic, I learn about it, and then I try to build something uh, depending on the depth of the topic, on how much time I have and other priorities in my life. It That depends how much time I spend on, I don't know, doing a mini project, writing an article or something something there and then if i still need to any something important to me i go back to the theory and then i go more in depth and then i build something more more i know more harder and so on so it it's a cyclical process in my opinion an iterative process how how people like to call it yeah i agree i agree and uh, it is um and based on the necessity also, like if this is something I need to deliver to a client, then of course it will, I'll be able to put way more time into it 
And so I'm going to learn deeper the concepts and the parameters and what's what's uh, what I need to consider yeah. into this overall problem. This is very interesting in like how to capture value, how to learn, how to iterate, how to move fast, how to grow uh, skills and and uh, abilities fast in a in a very fast growing environment. Um, yeah. but and, uh, I I will say something that probably all all everybody knows, but it still uh, amazes me that use ChatGPT. I mean, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's just yeah. it to give you. It doesn't solve all problems, but it gives you a first impression of how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty good. Like, I know I had to build an infrastructure for something. I have no, no clue how to do it or some clue. I explained the problem to JGPT and it gave me like 75 of the solution. Afterwards, I just took what he said and started diving in more into the problem and connected the rest of the dots. And that was mm. it. Exactly. And this is because I think that the, the main challenge here is like what to ask. And I feel like this is a very big problem for a lot of people They they don't really know like the good questions to, to, to make to chat GPT. And like you mentioned, if you have this problem, just briefly explain the overall problem and like ask for a roadmap of how to approach this. Like, okay, I need to do this. How would you how would you go about it taking into account X, Y, Z? And then it just builds a roadmap. And then each topic, you take it individually and you can iterate in ChatGPT or you can go on Google or you can watch a video on YouTube. But now you know what you're looking for and you know, yeah. and you can iterate on the first questions. Okay, but what do I take into account? What are the challenges about these tasks? And like you get so much information that you just build your roadmap to your learning path to what you want to do. Yes. And this is super, super, from my point of view, not enough people are using it that way. Yeah, but, and the beautiful part is that you could do this by your own, like Googling in the old fashion, but it might take you days, weeks, because you have to read a lot. And it's, yeah, it doesn't yeah. replace, you just speed up this, uh, I don't know, discovering process. Exactly. Um, so we've drifted a bit from different, very interesting topics, and I'm super happy that we can uh, share and capture this value uh, uh, together. I wanted to ask you about MLOps. Um, so, so maybe I feel like we talk a lot about MLOps, but we don't we don't come back that often on like MLOps, MLOps frameworks, full stack MLOp. Maybe you could uh, give uh, briefly how you see MLOps today. And how how it combines your your skills and maybe a, a brief example of uh, I know you've wrote uh, correct me if I'm wrong but you've wrote a framework you've you've wrote a um, uh, an online book or a short uh... it's more of a course it's it's uh it has the code on GitHub and based on the code I wrote uh, the step by step explanations on Medium in hmm. there. Eight articles on Medium that basically followed the content of the code and how I thought to build architecture and everything that's in there. Because it's that's... for someone new, it's it's hard to just looking at the code. It's hard yeah. to understand the whole picture. 
Yeah. So maybe what we can do is uh, you could explain briefly the uh, the MLOps, how you view it, a quick uh, example of uh, an MLOps, and then maybe explaining how your course goes about uh, like like what you've done and the code. In, uh, yeah, I sure. think that would be super interesting. So I think that there are two branches of MLOps. I, I don't want to get too caught into terminology because frankly, I still think that is this is still developing, but it's like the MLOps platform guy and the MLOps machine learning engineer. The MLOps platform guy is more like a DevOps that is building the, actually is deploying the infrastructure, is taking care of the infrastructure, is uh, creating the virtual machines and so on. Basically more of the DevOps side of things. And then is the, the machine learning operations uh, more related to the machine learning guy. Uh, and, and I think that in this setup is more like a mindset than a what you have to do. Because when you build a system, like a machine learning system, you have to take into consideration a lot of things. Like until now, uh, when you built a classic software, you had Git. Like everybody uses Git. And then what? It, it's very easy because the, the process is very standardized. You know that everyone uses Git, you use Git because you have to. <laughs> you have no choice. And basically, what does Git do? It version is your, your code. So you can very easily share code. You can very easily version, uh, go back, roll back to different versions of code, have different branches where uh, various people can work, have multiple environments, and so on. So basically, what machine learning operations is, you want this stuff in your machine learning system. And... But the, the, the issue is that in a machine learning system, you depend a lot on the data. You have multiple data sources. You, the data source is not static. It's uh, continually incoming from different versus. So you have a moving data set in a production environment, not like in research where you download the data set and boom, you're done. Uh, you have multiple configuration files that you use to train your models where you have your and more or less your hyperparameters, right? You also have your code. Uh, maybe you have multiple artifacts and so on. The idea is that you have a lot of more moving pieces that are moving around and you have to track them and know about them because there's this thing of data governance and explainability and so on where you have your model and you have to explain why does this model work as it works. More or less people think when I will ask them uh, this, more, more or less the people will respond me, okay, it has 90% accuracy. But that's not actually the, the, uh, the question that I ask. The question is with what data it has been trained. Uh, is the data, I don't know, free of use? Does it contain any sensible information like this ethical stuff, this bias stuff? Uh, where it was trained and so on. Does those weights can be used in, in specific scenarios? So it basically it can respond to, to all these questions. And also you can very easily say, okay, I use data version, I know, 3.1. I use configuration version 2. I use code version uh, 2.0. So when you want to replicate an experiment, it's extremely easy. Basically you have everything in one place and, and it's there you know what is going on. 
I think this is one side of machine learning operations. And the other side is like this, again, this DevOps side of things where you want a reactive system. Basically, when uh, you hit, you have new data, when you have new data, automatically the model will train itself. After the model train itself, it generates an artifact in the model registry, which will automatically trigger the deploying, uh, let's say the testing pipeline, then the deployment pipeline and, and this stuff. And I think because there are so many things attached to MLOps, that's why maybe it sounds scary and confusing because from what I saw, everybody understands something different when they, they talk about MLOps. It's just, hmm. as you said, this sexy word that people throw around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I think you, you've combined it, you've explained it in a, in a great way. And, uh, that's very interesting. And so to come back to your uh, Medium articles and, and the code, uh, I'll ask you that first and then maybe like the business value behind it. But uh, could you share briefly what do you capture in your eight articles uh, with the code that you've provided on Git? Yeah, sure. My, my pleasure. So in my perspective, it captures like a pretty standard uh, architecture for, for every machine learning system. Like maybe it's in other system, it will vary. Uh, uh, some com components will vary, but uh, you can generalize everything after all. And it uses the uh, tree pipeline design where you have a training pipeline. Uh, actually, you have the feature engineering pipeline, you have the training pipeline, and you have the inference pipeline. In my case, I use the uh, batch prediction uh, system. So this is the batch prediction pipeline, but this inference pipeline can actually be swapped with anything like a request response system or a, a, a stream deployment, because I will explain just a little bit later. So you have these three, three pipelines, right? And now you have to connect them somehow. Uh, the feature engineering pipeline is connected uh, with the training pipeline through the feature store, which a feature store is just a smart database for machine learning systems. Let's say it helps you to version your data, as I said, very easily. It helps you to uh, create virtual data sets over your data. Uh, data. It, uh, let's say that you have three different tables. It lets you very easily combine uh, various features between them into a virtual a view that you can later train your model on. So it's basically a database specialized for machine learning and that's it. So yeah, basically you have the feature engineering pipeline, which continuously gather data in this case from an API, which uh, gives the energy consumption from Denmark. They were actually the only country in Europe or from the world that exposes their country energy consumption levels open on the internet, uh, which was pretty cool if you ask me, like on the whole country. And yeah, I, I gather continually that the data, I processed it into different futures. I validated it with great expectations. And after the data is validated and cleaned, I put it into the feature store. Then a the training pipeline is triggered, which basically trains the model and generates an artifact, basically, which are the weights of the train model, 
which I put into the model registry. So now we have basically the model. In my case, I took this model and passed it through the batch prediction pipeline, which means just I just load the model, I just load the data and I do the inference and I put the predictions into a database. In my case, I used a, a GCS bucket, but like if you really want to go by the book, you should use a Redis database because it's a lot faster and low latency use, but I wanted to keep like things simple and a bucket is more uh, easy to use and is, is free of use for, I don't know, two megabytes of data of how much is here. So, But the idea is that you take the predictions, you put them in a bucket, and then you, you have uh, various applications that consume those predictions. In my case, it was a simple dashboard, but you can go wild from there and build any applications based on, on those predictions. And the predictions were the forecast of energy consumption values for the next 24 hours. Uh, because the energy levels are a time series, so uh, naturally you want to predict the values in the future. So now you have all this system, and but it's still not automated, right? So, and you have very move you have many moving components that they're not glued together and not automated. And that's where Airflow kicks in, which lets you build a DAG, a direct acyclic graph, which basically just glues all the components into a single, let's say script, um, if it's easier to digest, but it's a DAG. A DAG is basically just a set of tasks that are executed. And afterwards, it lets you very easily schedule, orchestrate the, this task. In my case, I, I ran them hourly because I wanted to predict the values uh, every hour. So it made sense to run this whole system every hour. But it, it gives you a lot of options. You can schedule them, I don't know, daily, monthly, however you want, or you can uh, put a listener on other events when they happen. And I know you can go wild and do whatever you want. And yeah, uh, and afterwards, what, what's still missing here? You, you don't have eyes into the system. And that's why I, I built a monitoring component. In, in this course, it was pretty easy more to show the need of a monitoring component. And because we are using time series with a delay of one hour, it made sense to compute the error, the actual error, uh, like in real time. Because kind of you have the ground truth in real time, but in many systems you don't. So I highlighted that when you don't have the ground truth in real time or soon enough, that's when you need to use drifts or other fancier methods. So there, there are two, these two use cases. And yeah, so now we have the whole system and the last step is actually to deploy it. I deployed it to DCP, to DCP and to build a CICD pipeline that basically takes the system, builds it, tests it, but I didn't write any tests in the course, but theoretically that will be the next step. This is the CI part and the CD part is to take this tested build and deploy it to the, to the cloud. And yeah, the, this is the the uh, an overview of of the of the course. That's awesome! Thanks a lot for sharing. It have a lot of values, and I really like how you put each piece in context. I felt like it was very clear. 
If I understand correctly, you switched the inference pipeline. When you talked about the three main pipelines, you switched the inference, which would be for streams or like real time to a batch one. And then you, you continue because you, you just needed to do a batch, right? Yeah, uh, actually, that's what I wanted to continue and I forgot. Because after you the training pipeline, you have the model artifact. And actually, at this point, the the system is decoupled because you have the inference, uh, the feature engineering pipeline, a training pipeline that generates you the artifact. And at this point, with the model artifact, you can do whatever you want. So you can take that model artifact and put it, as you said, in a request response uh, web application, into a stream application, into a batch system. It's it's decoupled. It's like a file that you later on download and put in another application. And that's it. It, it. What I want to highlight is that just this terminology is so fancy and scary when there, you actually, when it uh, drills down to the fundamentals, is is not that, not that complicated. Like a model registry and artifact is just a file put in a storage system, which is version, and that's it. It's like a bucket that people use for 10 years. <laughs> So that's that's super interesting and, and I totally agree with you. Those are a lot of like words that can scare and like sounds very complex, but still very useful words because they speak about different things and concepts that are very important. But like you said, they're important, but they're not complicated necessary if you put them in, in the right place in the big picture. Yeah, exactly. which, is, uh, which is why it's great to have good methods to understand those concepts, because when you read them, it would be hard at first to have a great idea. But once you start implementing them and seeing where they fit, then it's way easier to, oh, it's just that. Like you said, it's just, a, oh, it's just this thing on my screen <laughs> that I'm talking about, or yeah. it's just this option that I want to, to give. Uh, you mentioned also different tools. That was very interesting. Um, and so I recommend everyone to check your um, your uh, eight articles on Medium. Uh, yeah, I'm please. pretty sure it will be my my honor. <laughs> and if they have any questions, they can also um, come come to you. I'm, um, we we'll talk about that later. But yeah, um, you can uh, point them to my LinkedIn, and I will uh, respond to them with uh, with pleasure. Exactly. I will. like always. I share all the socials in the in the description. So if you're looking for for the links and I'll put also the links of your uh, medium articles uh, and everything we mentioned in the podcast in the description. Now, from a business perspective, uh, like I said before, I wanted to ask you about how, how come, I mean, MLOps, like, like we said, it's very large. It means a lot of things and it have a lot of integrations. But that being said, would you have some examples about uh, business cases where MLOps really add value and or like an example of an MLOps system in that that is integrated in in a in a business case like some examples like that well i can actually start with a very recent uh, discussion we have this discussion with those large language models that we don't know what they have been trained on right Mm -hmm. So if you have built from the beginning a very robust MLOps system that tracks every piece of data that comes into the model and it is trained on and so on, you can point very clearly 
to to every piece of data, right? And actually, MLOp still points to this. In my perspective, it also includes this a cleaning process and understanding of your data and slicing of the data and so on. So uh, if you have looked, even companies like Google and OpenAI haven't uh, did this enough because there is a table uh, on this European Union uh, committee. I don't know the exact name, but they're starting to regulate the, the, these uh, systems and they created a set of rules if and put all these large language models and sta stable diffusion and so on into them. And almost nobody had all the criteria buffered like data governance, model explainability and, and so on. So I think that now with this large big system is critical to understand what you train your model on and so on. This is more like, let's say, the explainability, uh, fairness type of things. But another scenario is that, let's say that you have a model in production. Everything is working great. You train it, you put it. It's great. Uh, a month passes by and you made some updates and you put another model in production. This is still okay. Another month passes by and you change the model. Now this model breaks everything. And now you want to revert to the previous model, but you don't know how to revert because you have lost your configurations because some data scientist train his model on his personal PC and that configuration file somehow got lost, deleted or whatever. The data set uh, got corrupted in these two months because someone put another one, I don't know, 10,000 files of, I don't know, uh, bad data into that data set and so on. And now you had one month ago, a good model that provided a lot of value and now everything is gone. You've lost months of work because you don't know what happened. And this sounds like if you know what the issue is, it's just a click of a button and everything is back again because they're actually just maybe some hyperparameters or some files that you need to change. It's not complicated, but it's like you, you need to search a lot and it's not easy because you don't know where to start. Hmm. And I think this control that it gives you, it's the most value that it gives uh, such a system gives you hmm. yeah. in my perspective. Uh, that's, that's super interesting. And uh, for example, if we take your medium articles with uh, data, like what your what your the prediction is um, is uh, the prediction of the energy, right? Yeah. So maybe this prediction of the energy is uh, is used by someone who is trading with it, for example, and the on the on the on whatever is a trading tool for energy in Denmark, but um, maybe this is a model combined with another one and this person is using your model with many other sources to like predict things. And maybe when like one month you do an update and now somehow it's not working and his strategy is not working anymore. And so having this tool can really like we can really put into context how mlops can 
can be a, a key player in here. Um, and yeah, so that's that's a great example. For example, uh, let's say that you expose the model what that you're letting people to use through a version, right? A simple version, and the user would easily see that okay, this guy upgraded his model version, and yeah, that's done. You found the issue. <laughs> hmm. That's awesome. And and with MLOps, can we deploy, for example, if I build another version that have some tweaks of hand to my end users? And for example, let's give this example where they are trading with this information. That was the first thing that came into my mind because we were talking about energies, but, um, but you want to deploy like a, a new model that is similar to the first one, but have some more tricks into it in terms of feature engineering and also in terms of you used some other data into the model but it is quite similar to the first one uh, and on the paper like you have a great score with it you have a better score than the other one but in the reality your users have been using for months uh, the version one of this model so maybe Let's say you're releasing your data in a specific endpoint and people can access it with, um, I don't know, an account or I don't know, let's say they have a subscription. So MLOps could allow you to deploy both system into production and being able to choose which versions you want so that you can implement one or the other in your whatever tool that you build to trade, correct? Yeah, sure. Uh, MLOps, and I think you're also software engineering kicks in a lot because you can either like uh, do a system of production testing if that's what you wish like a shadow deployment or a b testing or whatever or you can be opened about it and say hey i know in a url that you access your data with hey this is slash v1 hey this is slash v2 and you're opened about it and say hey we hope that v2 is better but we still give you the old one in case it doesn't work mm. so yeah i think this is a, a very good thing to do especially with these uh models no nowadays and that's awesome because you can really i mean if you want to you can really explain like what's the difference between the models what you took into considerations what were the inputs and like the 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 like data governance part of mlops really came very handy here because based on what your the use case like based on how you implement the model for whatever you want to do then it makes a lot of sense to know what happened with this model and why is this version different from the first one and this is something you you get from machine learning operations that's that's very interesting thanks yeah, a lot exactly. for, for for sharing uh this is great uh i feel like uh You've made it. Uh, you've made. Uh, you've made MLOps fun and easy to understand. <laughs> that's that's uh, my goal. Uh, so, F Richard Feynman has uh, this saying that if you can't explain something to a seven years old, it means that you don't understand it. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes when you just try to teach people something that you think you understand, you might be challenged in terms of how you thought you were understanding it 
<laughs> compared to how you really understand it. And you yeah. might need to dive deep into it again so that you can explain it clearly. Because I feel when you truly understand something or a concept, you can very explain it in easy words so that people have the best path to not know what you're like, understand you, not understand the full concept and fundamentals because they need to do their research, but but understand you clearly when you explain it. Yeah, totally. So, so maybe I would like to ask you about now your LinkedIn journey. You've been posting on LinkedIn for, for some time. Can you share about the great uh, things that you get from sharing on LinkedIn and why do you share on LinkedIn and what do you share about? Yeah, sure. So I started talking on LinkedIn, I know, like eight, nine months ago. And I love to learn. I, I'll learn. I have this thing that I have to learn something daily. Uh, maybe in a more agglomerated, uh, more when I don't have time, maybe I have time at least five minutes to dive in into a topic. And if I have a more free day, I have an, I know one hour, two hours. The idea is that I want to learn something daily. And I did this like for in the latest five, six years. But I realized that I'm not a guy that I know has its way around words and so on. So basically when I went to, I know, interviews or I wanted to help people what they do, uh, I realized that all that work was lost. Not not completely lost, like it helped me a lot in my daily work, but I didn't know how to sell it, how to sell that work. Because at the end of the day, if I still spend the time, I want to get the most out of it, right? So mm -hmm. I said, hey, if I still learn all this stuff, let's start. I want to start talking about and put it on the internet. Like, why not? And that's how, how I started. And basically, I just took what I was interested in and what I was already researching and reading about and I just took it and summarized it and put it on LinkedIn, on Medium and so on. And yeah, that's actually still what I do right now. I, in the latest eight months, I refined my process, like how I talk about what I learned and what I do, like to be, I know, more, uh, to more easily read it to be better put it in, into page and stuff like that like to have preacher graphs and so on but that's still what i do i don't like i know that the real business mentality is follow your customer and do what your customer asks you to and if you want to build like a true business uh, that's totally true but that's not my end goal, at least at this point. So <laughs> I actually reversed that completely. And I just talk what, about what I want to talk and what is interesting for me at the moment, because this content creation stuff is actually just a byproduct of what I do. It's not like, uh, I know, what I do is about byproduct of this LinkedIn journey. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting. And I would add also that when dealing with customers, we need to do what they want. But I feel like being able to educate customers and explaining why the idea that, like, why does the need that you're talking about is the end goal, but like without getting too much into detail, explain why it's complicated 
or why it might not be the best way to go about or why it's not the priority because customers don't have the visibility on what's going on behind and what do they really have. I mean, they can, they could, because there are a lot of type of customers, which is why I think it's very interesting to be able to communicate the same. I, I like how uh, Wired uh, does this or... Uh, Maybe I'm mistaken in, but like how to explain like one thing in different levels, like to a seven year old or to an expert and being able to like yeah. switch your entire vocabulary and ideas and concepts based on who you're talking to is a very, very great skills because then you can share like the problems we might face ahead. You can share them in different manners so that you build a better solution. The customer is happy because he have what he wants, but he understood why we didn't go a specific way, but another path. And of course, he have the final word and he leads. But I feel like customers are also more grateful when you explain them why a specific path might not be the best option now, but there is this alternative that combine what he wants plus more things. And I feel like this is what uh, end customer really wants. It's like, okay, I, I thought I wanted that, but this is what I wanted plus better things. It's just on a different path without getting too much into the technical detail. Yeah, tot totally. Because I believe, especially in software engineering, it's very easy to say that, I don't know, I, I want a, a spaceship and say, it's easy when you imagine the final product, but you don't understand the work behind it and all the trade-offs and all the costs and all, all these things and it's even me as an engineer sometimes <laughs> i don't understand all, all these steps like especially when i have to estimate stuff i mean yeah man, man, it's, it's hard it's very hard to it's hard to touch all the all the i don't know moving pieces yeah maybe i don't know you stumble upon a bug that will take you one week i just saying is something very complicated something very you just can't can't predict this stuff hmm. i agree i agree which is why like going for like analysis and maybe some proof of concept sometimes can be helpful but uh, it cannot do uh, all of it um, this is the same thing when like you, you present a power bi in the end if you haven't introduced what goes behind the power bi then for the customer, maybe you've just built cool graphs. But let's say you have like you have like different models and you have like different very complex KPI. So you had to put different databases together and you have to do like a lot of this kind of work behind so that you can really consume in a very easy way the data and take better decisions. If the customer just see the poor behind, he will not see like what went into building this and the quality and like you mentioned about like data governance yeah. and like what's behind my model yeah, so yeah. oh no continue yes. continue oh i was i was almost done i think uh i wanted to add that being able to explain that there is a lot of things behind without like going very into detail of all right so we've built this architecture we've done that we've choose these pieces to do this task but like on, a, on an overall view, just knowing that behind what you're looking at, there is an entire system and there is this and this and that. 
just by doing so, I feel like it gives the customer a way, like more confidence into your expertise, but also he knows that it doesn't take just to build a, I talk about Power BI, but whatever visualization tools or whatever you want to consume in an app or, but yeah, the, the main thing is this is, this was my point. Yeah, totally. Uh, he will think, hey, I can do this in, in Excel in five minutes. Why it took you three months? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Well, let, well, let me explain to you how. Um, <laughs> but also, this is a very interesting thing to mention because customers like needs to know about all these things, and this is why it comes very handy to to being able to explain at different levels of complexity, these kind of things. And if you have a very technical customer, then he wants to know why did you make specific decisions? And then you need to be able to go about it and, and explain it. I mean, depend on the contract that you have, of course, I guess. Yeah, but, um, totally. But yeah. Um, so, so I think... I think we're, uh, I'm looking at the time right now I, and I will have many more questions, but I'm super happy to, uh, with what, uh, what we shared in this episode. I have three, three follow-up questions for you, I think. Uh, the first one being, um, if you have like a quick, like some short tips for people who are entering into the field, uh, what would they be? Good question. Uh, let, let me think. I think that to take action, like don't overthink what you're doing. It, of course, you have to do, I know, a couple of courses. Uh, I know if you're doing your university, that's even better uh, to do a couple of projects and so on. But don't hunt your perfect portfolio, your perfect uh, certification uh, a set or, or whatever. Do something until you have something and then start applying to jobs start being uh, active into the market because this will help you a lot to understand the markets to have a feedback to have to create a reactive system that you can understand and adapt on it basically like a reinforcement learning system that, that's what you want that's even if you want to to i know get the job build a business, uh, you know, build a content creation system, anything. I think don't stay in the dark. I did that and it it actually slows your process a lot. Like start, get out there when you have something to, to do. I know, not, not when you're at zero because you need some fundamentals, but I know when you're at 25%, uh, 30% on your journey, get out there. Most probably in the first step you will fail, but that's fine because you will, that's, how you learn and that's how you learn what you need to learn which is actually the most important part of, of this process that's awesome fail early fail fast iterate <laughs> yeah exactly and uh and uh this, we could also do the analogy of what you were describing before as an mlops like how how each model have its interpretability and its its ways to track it and you can apply it to like each interview each each thing that you've had like have this like why give me feedback i want to know why i want to improve what was i missing what didn't i know and then if you do like that each step wow you learn so fast because if you go blindly random you might be lucky but most probably mm, 
uh, your luck will run out at some point. <laughs> yeah, you might get an idea at some point of what's going wrong, but it's not worth the time you put in to like figure it out after so many times. Whether if you go for feedback, you might iterate and uh, improve way faster. And, uh, and the, the LinkedIn community is very is very helpful about that. So reach out about people on LinkedIn, which is linked to my second question. How can people reach out to you and see your work, see your articles? What are out there that you want to, well, to share with us? I'm the most active on LinkedIn. Actually, it's the only platform where there are big chances that I will like will respond to you in like not a month. <laughs> uh, because I try to minimize my social media because I know it's very easy to get distracted if you uh, you're active on all, all the platforms. And for me, it's very easy to uh, distract me from my work, from my work. So basically, I'm active like if you want to talk with me and so on contact me on, on linkedin but i'm also active on medium and github so basically if you have a question about the uh the course which you can also add a issue on the github or if you want to contribute on the course you have some wake ideas additions you can also create a pull request and i i'm open to add additional features to it why not and and recently, I started a newsletter on Substack. So if you're interested uh, to gain more insights about what I've talked in this podcast, you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter where I talk about the same stuff. Awesome. All the links will be in the description. Uh, so now my last question, and I want to thank you a lot, Paul, for your time. I really enjoy sharing about all these topics with you and like putting visibility on some some very interesting topic and uh, topics that are shaping the field right now. Um, so I had such a great time. So thanks, thanks a lot for coming and sharing on this show. Thank you for having me here. It was it was great talking with you. My last question is: What's your message for the Let's Talk AI community? It can be personal, it can be professional, it can be about building a career, it can be about MLOps, it can be about anything. Well, I think that the most important thing in life is to follow your curiosity like to have all the system in place and things is great but if you're not passionate about passionate about what you're doing at some point you'll get i know bored or didn't or i know tired of continuing so on but if you're passionate about it you will persevere whatever it is whatever it is there in front of you 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 can go on so That's awesome. Simple. Yeah. Uh, a sim you need a, a simple a thing that you need to follow. So even when you're down and your mind is going crazy, if you have a simple statement, it's very easy to, to continue. Hmm. I really like that. Like how you build your guidelines and how you follow them when you're in down moments. It's very interesting. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Paul. Uh, I had such a great time and I wish you to have a wonderful day. I wish you a wonderful day and yeah, I had a great time here. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.